Welcome to the Southwest Church of Christ Bible Class Podcast entitled D6. My name is Jeremy Poole, and this is the 11th lesson of the quarter where we will be focusing on Acts chapter 10. As you recall, D6 refers to Deuteronomy 6 that teaches us to love God, love His instructions, and to teach our children and their children to have that same love. While each of you has a unique family situation, we are all called to love God and to spend time in God's Word. We are also all called to pass our knowledge of the gospel on to others. Last week, Craig directed our thoughts on Acts chapter 9. In this lesson, Craig focused on how the gospel can transform lives, and we encountered specific instances where individuals went outside their day-to-day comfort zone to share the power of the gospel with someone they would not have likely come into contact with under normal circumstances. The first was Ananias sharing the gospel with Saul, who up until that point was a terrifying enemy determined to persecute Christians. Because of Ananias' courage to share the gospel with Saul, Saul's life was transformed by the gospel, and Saul then went on to share the gospel and transform people all throughout the world. Another example was Philip sharing the gospel with Simon, the magician, and the Ethiopian eunuch. These two men likely did not have much in common with Philip. Philip was brought into contact with the eunuch through divine intervention rather than natural circumstances, and as a result, the gospel message was taken back to Ethiopia with the eunuch. Philip became known as the evangelist, obviously sharing the good news with many different people. Today, we will look at someone else who was called to share God's love and instruction to an individual and his family who are outside of his comfort zone. I mentioned a bit ago that we each have a unique family situation. That being said, what is your view of the typical family? Is it a mom and dad and two and a half children living in a house with three bedrooms, two baths, and a large backyard Maybe in the suburbs with a dog and a cat? Or maybe your typical family is a family that includes grandma and grandpa taking care of the kids while mom and dad are working in order to afford to put food on the table in their tiny apartment in the middle of the city. What do you think when a family falls outside of your definition of a typical family? When you see a single mom with three kids, what are your assumptions? Do you assume that dad was a deadbeat who did not want to take responsibility of raising kids and so he ran off and left them? Do you assume that a tragedy struck the family and that the mom and kids are still struggling to overcome the grief of losing dad? Do you assume that the mom never got married but had such a love and passion for children that she adopted the children so they would have a loving home? Your assumptions may lead you to treat such a family differently than you would treat a family that falls into the bounds of your typical family. While we all have preferences and opinions of what is normal, sometimes we go a step further than this and allow our opinions to turn into a prejudice or a bias. A prejudice is an unfavorable opinion or judgment about a person or group of people because of a real or perceived difference between them and me. A prejudice will affect the way you treat a person and prevent you from sharing God's love the way you were intended to. Here is another scenario. What about 
When you see someone standing on the side of the road with a sign begging for help, what assumptions do you make? Do you assume that life choices led the person to that point and that they are just receiving the consequences of their actions? Do you assume they are lying and really just want money so they can go get drugs or alcohol? Do you assume that the person is lazy and unwilling to work? While it is possible that your assumptions might be right, it is impossible to know unless you get to know that individual personally. Your assumption, however, may cause you to take action such that you will never get to know someone who outwardly seems very different from you. When I was in my church's youth group, we had the opportunity to go to the Museum of Tolerance in L.A. There were several things that struck me during that visit, but one experience that has stuck with me over the years was the entrance to the museum. There was a guide who greeted our youth group and started us on the tour with the following instruction. If you are biased, go through the door on the left. If not, go through the door on the right. There was a pause as everyone in the group thought on this. Many of us were young and idealistic and unsure what to do, but we noticed that some of the more mature members of our group who had gained a bit more wisdom and prudence were heading to the door on the left and followed them through. Once through, our guide congratulated us all on being honest with ourselves and admitting that we are biased. She then explained that the door on the right was locked shut and did not open since we all fall into the trap of being biased. Unlike us, however, Scripture teaches us that God does not have preferences and does not play favorites. Scripture teaches us that each one of us is created in his own image. To God, we have all sinned and are in need of redemption. We have also all been offered salvation equally, regardless of who we are or what our background is. It does not matter what our genetic makeup is. It doesn't matter what language we speak, and it doesn't matter what beliefs our family practices. We are all in need of God's saving grace, and he has granted it to all of us equally. To set the stage for today's scripture, let's review the events of Acts 9. In Acts 9, we read the account of Saul's persecution and conversion. After Saul's conversion, he travels to Jerusalem, he is introduced to the apostles, and begins preaching throughout Jerusalem. When his life is threatened, Saul is sent to his hometown of Tarsus. And during this time, the church is growing stronger and growing in numbers. Meanwhile, Peter is also going from town to town, preaching the good news and performing miracles. He heals the paralyzed man Aeneas in Lydda, and then goes to Joppa and raises Tabitha from the dead. After raising Tabitha, many in the town of Joppa believe in the Lord, and so Peter stays there a long time. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. I will read from the New International Version. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, 
your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Let's pause there for just a little bit. So as we look into these verses, let's start by taking a closer look at who Cornelius is. Cornelius is a Roman centurion, which means that he was in command of about 100 men in the Roman army. Typically, 
there would be six centurions in a cohort, cohort, and then ten cohorts in legion, so about 6,000 men. In today's terminology, that would make Cornelius roughly a captain in the army. We can gather from this aspect of Cornelius that he likely spoke Greek, uh, and to have risen to this rank in the army, he was likely responsible, sensible, and reasonable. We also know that Cornelius was devout and God-fearing. This likely means that Cornelius believed in the one true God, as did the Jews, but he was still a Gentile, as he had not become a full proselyte by being circumcised. As a result, in the Jews' eyes, he was still considered ritually unclean. On the flip side, what do we know about Peter? Uh, Peter was a, a Jewish fisherman from Bethsaida in Galilee. Uh, he likely spoke Aramaic and not Greek. Uh, we also know that he was often impulsive rather than rational. Uh, from this passage that we just read, we also know that he was a very devout follower of Jewish regulations, and he considered ritual cleanliness extremely important. Cornelius and Peter had extremely different characteristics. They likely had very little in common. These two would not have come together under ordinary circumstances, and so God brought them together miraculously. When they are brought about, brought together, Peter even points out these many differences in verse 28. I guess that this shows that Peter understood at some level the meaning of the vision that he had with the sheep full of unclean animals. In verse 28, he states that God has made it clear not to think of anyone as impure or unclean. We are all loved by God and recipients of his attention. It is fairly common for individuals to befriend others who think like we do, look like we do, and in general, live like us in many ways. How long would Cornelius have had to wait to hear God's grace through Jesus Christ if he had waited until someone who looked, acted, thought, and lived like him to share that gospel with him? Well, it was not God's plan to wait that long. So after his resurrection and before being ascended to heaven, Jesus said to his apostles in Acts 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The apostles were charged to be witnesses in stages to larger and larger demographics. When the message stayed centered around Jerusalem, in Acts 8.1, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So God sent the message out to the next demographic through persecution. God had a plan to push his message out to all people, even if people did not do this willingly. He did not want to wait for this to happen naturally. So let's continue reading in Acts 10, starting in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, 
because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. In these passages, Peter starts by recognizing that God has made it clear to him that he does not show favoritism and that he accepts people from all nations. Peter Peter then begins to bear witness of all that Jesus has done. As Peter is preaching the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on all in the household. Through this pouring out of the Spirit, God confirmed salvation is for all people, regardless of race, culture, nationality, or origin. Peter then proved his understanding of this message by baptizing Cornelius and his household. I do not know how long it was between the time that Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection up until the events recorded in Acts 10, but it is clear that for quite some time, Jewish Christians were blinded by long-seated prejudices against Gentiles. They failed to spread the good news of Christ beyond those who thought and acted as they do. It took the miraculous event described in Acts 10 to overcome these barriers and to continue God's plan of spreading salvation to all people. We need to learn from this passage to not let our own prejudices get in the way of spreading God's love to others. We need to be intentional about sharing his love with those that are not like us, those who are excluded or marginalized, those who are different than us. We must not show favoritism or require others to become like us before we share God's love with them. This can be a very difficult thing to do. And so I ask you to start by praying to God to help reveal to you where you have been blinded and allowed yourself to be biased or prejudiced. I also ask that you pray that God will place opportunities in front of you to share God's love with someone who is not like you. Pray also that you will not overlook such opportunities, but to identify them and seize them. Lord, I just pray that you will Grant each one of us clarity and that we will see clearly those around us who are in need of the good news, for, for all have that need. I pray that you will help us not to be blinded by our own biases or prejudices, that we will freely share the good news with all who are around us. And I pray that uh, when you place those opportunities in front of us, that you won't allow us to overlook them, but that we will seize those opportunities, that we will have the courage to share your good news 
when we are placed in an opportunity with someone who may not be exactly like us, but is different or uh, dissimilar from us. And I just pray that we will have the courage to do what is right. Thank you so much for loving each and every one of us and granting each and every one of us the same salvation equally. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we conclude, I want to leave just a few verses with you. Psalm 96, verse 3 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And finally, in Revelations 5, verses 6 through 10, it says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So we are all called to be children of God. We have all been recipients of his wondrous grace. Thank you so much for listening to this Southwest Church of Christ Adult Bible Class podcast. I encourage you to remember that we meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 for worship at 9725 Southwest Durham Road in Tigard, Oregon. I also encourage you to visit our website, swest.org, for additional information. God bless you.